Welcome back to the Nerd Byword Podcast, the only podcast where Luke Skywalker's new Jedi Order never fell. Expanded universe, baby! This week, we're delivering the long-promised deep dive into the Disney Investor Day announcements, with a special focus on the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We will uh, focus later on the uh, future of Star Wars in a separate episode. Before we get to our Byword Big Talk, though, it's time for a look at some notable nerd news. Chris, what up? Uh, it's a big old mess, Dave. Um, we're talking the Cyberpunk 2077 mess. So this was the most anticipated game since its uh, initial announcement in 2012, eight years ago. Uh, for those of you that don't know about it, Cyberpunk 2077 is based on the series of incredibly popular tabletop RPG games uh, that were created uh, starting a series of games that started in the late 80s and were created by Mike Pondsmith. Um, he also served as a consultant on the game. Um, in this game, gamers will take control of a fully customizable mercenary known as V, um, who inhabits the dystopian future world of Night City and works alongside his AI sidekick, who is played by the likeness of Keanu Reeves. Um, this game was developed by CJ Project Red, a Polish game uh, video game developer uh, that was also responsible for The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, which I have mad love for, um, and was one of the most acclimated and well-received games of its generation, uh, and that was released in 2015. Now, Cyberpunk also featured an E3 presentation to rave reviews in 2018, and that only served to increase the hype. Um, they finally set a release date for April 2020, but stop me if you've heard this before, it was delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, they also stated back in 2019 that they would not require workers. So this is the first part of this mess. And there's a lot. So bear with me. So despite stating in 2019 that they would not require workers to work overtime, they did just that by instituting six day work weeks during the last couple of months of development before the release. It was given another release date for November 2020, but that was again delayed until December the 10th. 2020 um it was released then but we'll get there um despite stating that the game would not be released until it was ready cyberpunk 2077 was released on the 10th of december of this year uh to pc xbox one and playstation 4 with a slew of bugs which included console crashes lost progress in the game for players and inexplicably exposed genitalia the bugs and glitches were so significant that Sony announced just a week after release on December 17th that they would be issuing full digital refunds of the game, and they even went so far as to remove the game completely from their Sony digital store. The next day, December 18th, Microsoft, issue a, uh, Microsoft issued a similar refund policy to Xbox gamers, but the game still remains to this day on the Microsoft digital store. Uh, it does seem that the most dependable version of the game seems to be that of the PC. Um, reviews of several aspects of the game were actually quite positive, but the bugs and glitches were deemed insurmountable. Uh, further criticism uh, knocked the game for insensitive treatment uh, towards trans characters, which unfortunately is something that uh, developer CD Projekt Red has a very poor history with, including um, sharing 
uh, anti-transgender memes on their social media sites, as well as a lack of representation from characters of color beyond stereotypical tropes. So it's quite a hit list already, um, and it's only been two weeks since its release, Dave. What do you think about this cyberpunk mess? Oh, good golly. You know, seeing CD Projekt Red in this predicament is really, you know, it's disheartening. The company has cultivated really a a sterling reputation, uh, thanks in part to its Witcher games and running, you know, GOG uh, or good old games as a distribution platform for PC games, mostly free of of digital rights management of DRM. So there's a lot of goodwill, I think, in the gaming community for CD Projekt Red. So on the one hand, given the success of The Witcher 3 and the sheer hype that was building up around Cyberpunk, I'm not surprised it didn't live up to expectations. You know, there are so many factors at play here. Um, So the developer uh, may have been overly ambitious in creating this game, Um, you know, trying to tailor the game to current generation and next generation consoles at the same time was no doubt a massive challenge. And most of the performance issues, at least that I've heard about, seem to be uh, squarely focused on uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One as opposed to next generation consoles. Uh, crunch is also a massive problem in the industry period. You know, trying to push this game out before the holidays with developers overworked as they were was already a recipe for disaster. You know, I'm reminded of that legendarily bad game uh, for Atari, uh, E.T., which uh, some people claim is the worst game ever made. And one of the things to remember about that is that is one of the early examples of crunch you had one guy making this game and he was supposed to meet an impossible deadline to push it out before the holidays so i think we have a long history in the gaming industry of this kind of problem so it is so surprising to me however that so many outlets are giving refunds for the game or in sony's case as you've noted even removing it from their store you know this is far from the first game that has been released in a quote-unquote broken state Browse through Sony's PlayStation Store right now, and you'll be able to find countless substandard games, both from you know a technical perspective and a gameplay perspective. Yet for some reason, this game is where they drew the line, and that seems really odd to me. Um, ultimately, I think a lot of the blame here is simply probably more on the business end uh, of CD Projekt Red than anything else. Um, the developers apparently have been crunching and, and, and working their tails to the bone trying to make this game uh, everything it could be on multiple generations uh, of consoles. But the business side of things seem to have really you know, pushed them too hard and, and really trying to meet this arbitrary deadline of before the holidays to maximize sales. You know, I hope CD Projekt Red can recover from this. I enjoyed The Witcher 3 a lot. Uh, I use and enjoy GOG and generally have a favorable opinion of the developer, period. I think what happened with Cyberpunk is really an indicator, not just of problems at CD Projekt Red, but an indicator of much larger problems within the gaming industry. It's just a shame that even CD Projekt Red, with its sterling reputation, couldn't avoid falling victim to these problems, Chris. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the truth. And and you raise an interesting point about why this game to be to be treated as such by by Sony and Microsoft and and, and company. And it, you almost wonder if it wasn't like a political decision 
once all of the news came of light about the six day work weeks and, and, and all of that nonsense. Um, I wonder if it wasn't, you know, kind of in response to that when, when those things came to light, but it's going to be definitely a fascinating thing to watch develop over the days and weeks to come. Um, I know that they've released at least one or two patches. So um, it, it'll definitely be something that I hope that they can write this ship because, you know, just even looking at like, um, the positives uh, that I've heard of, of reception and, you know, once they iron this out and it's something that I definitely look forward to playing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very interested in playing this one as well. I really hope uh, that they iron out, you know, the kinks in this one, but you know, flip side, something to remember. I almost never buy games at, at launch at this point. I almost always give it at least six months to a year before I dive in because releasing games in a broken or semi-broken state has almost become an industry standard at this point. So I don't think really any games are quote-unquote playable or in their best state that they will ever be at launch. Uh, and so I think uh, Cyberpunk is just another example of that. The the one positive note that I hope comes of this, and, and I read this in the Vox report, is that there's been rumblings about unionization of, of video game developers in that industry, um, you know, and, and with six day work weeks and, and, you know, the harsh conditions like that. I certainly hope that that is something positive that can come out of this entire situation and 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 the people who are actually creating the thing, you know, I hearken back to um our paul jenkins interview where where we talk about creators rights and the people who are actually making the things that we enjoy should be rewarded as such and not the big corporations absolutely i can totally agree with that all right dave i know that we're holding off on the most of our lucasfilm and star wars news but you're taking us to a galaxy far far away with your news story yeah you know i saw this piece in variety um that I found really interesting. So they published an article a couple of weeks back written by Adam B. Wary. And in it, he dissects the announcements that came out of Disney's Investor Day and tries to put them into the context of sort of a larger business strategy, particularly when it comes to Star Wars. And so basically what it sort of comes down to um, is that Disney was tremendously ambitious when it purchased Star Wars. You know, it promised initially a new movie at least every two to three years. And their hope, very clearly, was to spawn sort of a multifaceted franchise like the Marvel Cinematic Universe with multiple side stories and at some point probably multiple movies even coming out within the same year. And you could see that ambition when they released uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and then eventually Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, The lack of success in that regard, particularly from Solo, a Star Wars story, which they apparently had high hopes for, kind of put the kibosh on all that to the point where when Rise of Skywalker came out, they even sort of announced that they're going to be taking a break from Star Wars cinematic outings for a few years. So clearly there has been some rethinking. The Investor Day announcements basically indicate a new attempt to copy the MCU, uh, to expand Star Wars again as a business venture with side stories that could later converge Avenger style. So there's already talk that some of the series that were announced, Boba Fett, uh, Ahsoka, Rangers of the Republic, and you know, with the Mandalorian, may converge into a big sort of Avenger style event series where all these characters and story threads come together. And I think this is really interesting for several reasons. Um, 
on the one hand, you know, I, I like the idea of more Star Wars. I think The Mandalorian has been extremely successful uh, creatively and probably financially at this point as well with on Disney+. Plus. Um, and I want good Star Wars content. It's one of my favorite uh, franchises, period. But I also wonder if Star Wars can be marvelized, for lack of better term. You know, the benefit of the MCU is that it has nearly 60 years of back catalog of pre-existing stories to adapt, to, to transform and, and make use of, uh, for lack of a better term. Star Wars doesn't really have that. You know, no doubt the galaxy far, far away uh, has thousands of story possibilities, but there has not been a crack team of writers churning out stories for decades. Now, you could say the old expanded universe provides some blueprints, but, you know, Disney has been really hesitant to adapt some of the the best elements, really, of the old continuity. Um, certainly, they've adapted uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, but a character, for example, like uh, Mara Jade has, is nowhere to be seen, uh, which is probably uh, the most popular original character to come out of the expanded universe. In short, uh, despite the success of The Mandalorian, I'm, I'm kind of a little worried. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to a lot of these series. Either we're in for a great treat of awesome stories, or the whole venture will collapse just kind of under its own weight. Because Star Wars, by its nature, isn't really designed to be what Disney is trying to turn it into. Time, time will tell, I guess. Chris, what are your thoughts? See, I, I, I'm kind of two minds here. Um, I, I think, um, you know, the old adage, fail stands for first attempt and learning. Um, you know, so they failed pretty epically uh, in my mind with, with a lot of those things. Um, and one thing I particularly found interesting about this article is even with the more successful ones um, of, of that era, when you're talking about Rogue One and Solo and everything, even even with their successes, it didn't really push any boundaries. It didn't really go anywhere new. So that's the thing about Star Wars that kind of keeps my fandom and keeps my excitement um, kind of, you know, within, I guess, you know, without going overboard is because it, it always seems, you know, even with the Mandalorian that, you know, the aspect of fan service, while I enjoy it, it's a little bit tiresome that we always have to come back to the same old things and, and play up to nostalgia. And I previously critiqued the ideal of nostalgia and, and my caution towards it is it always has to turn tie back into the Skywalker somehow or the Palpatines or something from the original trilogy. And instead of pushing boundaries and creating something new and moving forward, we're, we're kind of treading backward. Um, you know, as much as I've enjoyed season two of the Mandalorian, um, you know, Boba Fett's back, um, you know, a lot of these popular characters while I enjoy it, it still makes me hesitant going on into the future that we're just, you know, treading the same territory. Um, the one thing that makes me potentially the most hopeful is the fact that, um, as we've previously suggested, it seems um, all signs are pointing that that John Favreau and Dave Filoni are kind of co-piloting this venture, you know, going forward, and they're the Kevin Feige, if so to speak, of of this, you know, idea when you had you know like the the real hiccups of these star wars projects before you know it was you know 
calamity when you had, you know, Lord and Miller being fired from solo halfway through production. You had, you know, Ron Howard coming back in with the extensive bit of reshoots. Um, So even all the noise around the solo film, not to mention you're trying to replace Harrison Ford, that that movie was pretty much doomed before even release. Um, As much as I love Rogue One, it didn't really push anything forward. Um, I am excited to see the Andor series and see where they go with that. Um, and then, you know, like we've talked about this, you know, quite a bit and, and we will more when we, when we fix the sequel trilogy, but the problem, the, my main issue with the sequel trilogy is there was no clear through line. There was no clear plan. So when you're firing directors mid project, and then when you're bouncing back and forth and have no clear through line, you can't expect consistent success. You can't expect to, you know, push on and have quality after quality after quality if you don't have a clear through line. So I'm hoping that, you know, in this second attempt to to do so, um, they're they're able to do so, you know, with, um, you know, like a clear plan beforehand. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to tell you something there, too. I think. um one of the things we have to, I think, remember here uh, is simply this. Uh, forward momentum is desperately needed in Star Wars. Uh, the first season of The Mandalorian felt like forward momentum. Uh, from what I've seen with the second season of The Mandalorian, it feels, it feels a little bit less like there's forward momentum. And look no further than, you know, the return of, of Boba Fett. Now, Boba Fett was a pretty cool character, and I don't doubt that the new series, The Book of Boba Fett, could uh, potentially be a very good series. But if you are giving me a choice between The Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian Season 3, I want The Mandalorian Season 3. And it's become rather clear that The Mandalorian Season 3 is now going to be a year later, basically skipping a year, to make room for The Book of Boba Fett. So here we got this nostalgia fuel that is replacing uh, a story that seemed like it had some forward momentum. And I think, I don't know if that's necessarily a smart move. I mean, I, I don't doubt there's a lot of Star Wars fans who are really going to eat up the idea of the Book of Boba Fett. But I would rather have some more Din Djarin. I really like uh, the Mandalorian series. And I like where it's headed to. I think there's a lot of um, sort of larger mythology of the Mandalorians that that needs to be explored. Um They've introduced additional, you know, Mandalorian characters. There's this whole idea of uh, the Mandalorian himself being sort of a uh, part of a, a splinter group within society and what, what that might mean for him moving forward. And all of those things are now uh, questions that I would like to see answered that I'm going to have to wait an extra year for just to see Boba Fett hanging out in Jabba's palace, which, you know, I saw already uh, in 1983. So... Yeah, I think forward momentum is desperately needed if they want to make this thing work. Yeah, now a couple of those threads where, and I I want to give some more people time to finish up season two, but like it left a lot of open threads um, as to as to where season three could go. Um, and I'm, I'm particularly interested in the Ahsoka series due to the Admiral Thrawn name drop in a live action star wars series so i i'm very very intrigued just by you know the one line of where is grand admiral thrawn you know the one line uh, of dialogue has led to 
an endless amount of speculation about you know live action Star Wars products going forward. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm I'm very much interested in seeing what they do with that too. All right. Um... Well, that's it for our nerd news segment. Uh, Stick around for the Byword Big Talk when we dive deep into the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Or is that now the Marvel Streaming Universe? Let's find out. Welcome back to the uh, Nerd Byword. Today, we're going deep. Uh, as Chris promised last week, uh, the Walt Disney Company webcast its Investor Day on December 10th, 2020. Uh, the event was all about the future of its major franchises, including the MCU and Star Wars. This week, Chris and I decided to dive deep into the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know we're a little late to the party with this. A lot of people have already been talking about uh, the news coming out of the Investor Day, but Chris and I decided to you kind of let the news stew a little bit so we can be very clear on what our takes are on these various franchises. So we're going to go announcement by announcement, franchise uh, element by franchise element, movie and series both, starting with WandaVision, which will be released to Disney Plus on January 15th, 2020. It stars Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch and Paul Bettany as Vision. Chris, your thoughts on what we've seen so far of WandaVision. I think this is definitely one of the most anticipated projects going forward, if for no other reason than it's the first, you know, entry into the MCU in over a year. It's the first MCU action that we, we've gotten since Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, um, also, the thing that makes me really, really intrigued and interested, and, and we've talked about this before with the first WandaVision trailer dropping a couple months ago, it, it seems probably like the wildest, you know, project that, that's been announced. Um, you know, where is this going? Is, is, is this entire series in the figments of Wanda's shattered imagination as she's dealing with the grief and the loss of Vision? Um, he was not restored. Um, in Avengers Endgame, he is still dead. So what? I mean, like, what is this? And and you know, if you have any background in the history, uh, the comic history of Wanda, you know that her her mental state is is quite. Um, I'm trying to think of a gracious term here. Quite unstable. Um, you know. Also, there's been a lot of speculation with um, you know, the House of M and, you know, when she in, in Avengers disassembled, when she went crazy and wiped out 98% of the mutant population, how are they going to, are they going to flip that and subvert, subvert expectations and introduce mutants by this? I'm the, the closer we get to this and the fact that um, Fantastic Four was announced and nothing mutant related, nothing X-Men related was even, you know, whispered about in this Investor's Day presentation makes me think, um, Unless they really just want to make you, you, you know, shocked in the shock value. I really don't think we're going to get anything mutant tie-in, even though she has a significant history with these men. Um, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm really excited to see this going forward. And, and just watching these trailers, it's just really delightful seeing the two of them on screen and their chemistry with one another. Um, their, their romance even is, is a pretty recent development. It, you know, you had some hints at it in Civil War, and then it was really ramped up in Infinity War. 
um and then it was done and then and then you saw you know the events of endgame and and her so it wasn't really like an extended romance but it's it's undeniable the the chemistry that the two of them have on screen even looking at these trailers i think i think particularly olsen um as like a samantha from bewitched character from the 60s is absolutely delightful and i'm i'm excited to see that i'm also super intrigued to see katherine hahn as Agatha Harkness, which has been confirmed. Agatha Harkness has a real complicated history with Wanda comics wise. Um, sometimes she serves as her tutor and helps her, um, you know, uh, when it comes to her powers and everything, but sometimes she plays an antagonist and, and some people have speculated that this entire premise for this show um, is her messing with Wanda. And then, you know, also undeniably, I am absolutely here for Tiana Paris as, as a grown up Monica Rambo. Um, so I'm very, very excited. Also, we got cat, we get cat Dennings back as Darcy, um, who is one of the most delightful side characters of the MCU. Um, I'm really, really just excited to see where this goes. Um, it's, it's completely shrouded in mystery, but I'm definitely, definitely intrigued. Yeah, I find myself very excited about this project too, mostly because it's just so very different. You know, the biggest critique of the MCU has been how tonally um, samey it it is, really. Uh, Most movies feel pretty much of the same cloth, with some notable exceptions, obviously. But this is so interesting. WandaVision looks to be riffing off of sitcoms from various eras while introducing Wanda's reality-bending powers. This project has so much potential to be something incredibly unique and introduce some much-needed variety into the MCU. So I'm excited. I want this one to succeed because I think, you know, success uh, from a business standpoint will always breed imitation. And if this is as unique and as experimental as it seems on the surface, then a success for this series could uh, bring about more experimentation in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with story, with form. We might see uh, a whole new take on Marvel properties emerging just because of this series. And I would be all for that. Yeah, and I think with a lot of these announcements going forward, I kind of am noticing that trend about how they're kind of diving into like genre specific things and, and switching up the paradigm a little bit. And that's definitely, definitely intriguing. Totally agreed. And talking about uh, sort of paradigm shifts within the MCU, that really brings us to our next project announced uh, again, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, releasing on March 25th, 2022, directed by Sam Raimi and introducing the character of America Chavez. Uh, Chris, your thoughts? Well, I'm very, very intrigued by this. And I know that we've had our, our reservations about, um, you know, crossovers and... Um, um, a jam-packed cast, if you will. But, um, you know, Sam Raimi's attachment to this project is super fascinating. Um, you know, having Sochito Gomez cast as America Chavez, a very, very um, fascinating character with a really complex origin and history is going to be really cool to watch, you know, un- unfold on screen. Um And it also, you know, this film in particular has some far-reaching implications with the future of the MCU projects. So um, I'm really, really interested to see what they do with this. 
Um, and, and I'm also glad that they are including Wanda because I think Elizabeth Olsen it was was very underused um, in her previous appearances. And and uh, another reason that I'm kind of excited for WandaVision and her inclusion in this film is they never really like explained her powers um, for, you know, for one reason or another. So I'm, I'm glad that she's kind of getting her time to shine here um, and, and, and that she is, you know, rightfully getting her due due diligence when it comes to screen time. Yeah. So I'm very excited for this one as well, uh, mostly because Sam Raimi will be directing a movie that is being billed as Marvel's first quote-unquote horror movie. Now, do I think they'll actually push this sucker into real horror? Probably not. But, you know, some horror flavoring, I think, would go a long way uh, in distinguishing a movie like this. You know, I'm a big fan of Raimi's early work, especially the Evil Dead franchise. Raimi has a real flair for horror, uh, but he's stayed away from it uh, for years as far as the director's chair is concerned. He's produced some movies uh, in the genre. But I wished he'd make a comeback to that arena. The scene in Spider-Man 2, you know the one I'm talking Talking about when Doc Ock's arms come to life and attack a bunch of doctors is one of my favorites for exactly this reason. He has really good in- instincts when it comes to uh, filming stuff in a way that is shocking or scary. Now, I don't know enough about America Chavez as a character to comment much on her, but I am very excited for what I'm seeing shaping up here. You know, the inclusion of the multiverse, uh, seeing Elizabeth Olsen uh, reprise her role here, probably. Uh, coming straight out of WandaVision. So there's uh, probably some setup happening in that show even for this movie. The return of Benedict Cumberbatch. You know, I have high expectations for this movie. I like the first Doctor Strange a great deal. It was visually very interesting. Uh, I think if they can continue that and then add some of Sam Raimi's horror flair to it, I-, I think there's a real winner in the making here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I And I will say the first Doctor Strange film does unfortunately fall victim to a lot of that sameness um, that that you talked about earlier and referenced earlier. Um, however, the one way that it distinguishes itself in the MCU is how gorgeous it is visually um, and, the, and the things they do with that film really going back to those, you know, Ditko era um, you know, visualizations when the character was first created. So I'm excited to see them expound on that. And, you know, with the attachment of Raimi and even the hint of like a horror vibe really makes me think that they're going to shake things up a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. All right. So next up, uh, we got our first look trailer for Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, on Disney plus releasing on March 19th, 2021. Here, we'll see the return of the titular heroes from the Captain America and Avengers franchises as they deal with the fallout of Captain America's return to the past and passing the shield to Sam Wilson, the Falcon. Chris, what are your thoughts on this project? Well, I'm really just interested to see where they go in the storyline. I think it's really, really interesting um, how close we are to the release. And this is the first time we've seen even a trailer, if memory serves. Um, You know, I think... You know, Sebastian Stan and, and Anthony Mackie here are just absolutely pitch perfect, you know, in their roles. And you, we even saw shades of this in Civil War, where they kind of have this love-hate relationship where, you know, they, you know, will team up and work together, you know, because they both, you know, are, are close with Steve. But, um, you know, they, they also really don't like each other that much. So, um, and, and they're quite different. So I'm also interested to see, you know, kind of the fallout from Endgame. You know, 
Steve Rogers is what drew these two together. And, and now that he is gone, I'm really interested to see where the legacy of the shield, as they say in the trailer, where that carries them and, and where, you know, what storylines, uh, you know, are in store for them uh, going forward. Um, I'm really, really excited to see the return of Baron Zemo played by Daniel Bruhl. Um, also the fact that they're including us agent and, and how that is going to all play out with all three of these characters, uh, you know, are playing someone who has either, you know, been Captain America or a Captain America adjacent type character is really going to be fascinating to watch play out over, you know, the six or eight episodes, however many there are, you know, uh, as this series goes on. You know, this one's weird for me. The trailer left me surprisingly cold. I was very excited for this project, but the footage they premiered seemed very, you know, generic. I was also really excited to see Sam Wilson become the next Captain America. But instead of diving into that scenario and what it, that means for the character and, and, and for America and for the MCU, the show seems to be either delaying or even avoiding this scenario in some odd way. And I'm a little baffled by that. I hope they are holding back some really interesting twists and footage because the hype train didn't quite pull into the station for me on this one. You know, a shame, really. Uh, I'll give it a look when it releases, but in comparison to the unique premise of something like WandaVision, I'm not particularly impressed. And I also, I'll note that I really like the um, the chemistry between Falcon and the Winter Soldier in the movies, but I didn't quite get the same vibe off of uh, the footage that they released for the series. I almost feel like they could have dialed that up even a little further and and kind of make the sort of a riff off of the... Uh, the buddy cop movies of, of days gone by, you know, two people that really don't like each other, but are stuck having to work with each other and the fireworks that ensue from that. But the whole, the whole footage just seemed kind of flat and subdued. So I'm, I'm really hoping there's more to it than that. And they got some big surprises in store for us that they just don't want to give away because like I said, the hype train just, just did not pull in the station for me on this one. Yeah, I feel uh, I feel a lot of the same. Um, it, it really is interesting, and, and and I'm hoping that they're just holding on to a lot of their cards, um, you know, so to speak, with you know just now showing some of this footage and then not really showing a lot with the footage that they did show. Um, we didn't even see unless that player running onto the football field was U.S. agent, which I assume it was. There was he wasn't really featured, so to speak, in that footage. So I've seen a lot of speculation online that um, even though Steve handed off the shield to Sam at the end of Endgame, the U.S. government is is not choosing Sam to be their one going forward, and that U.S. agent is the one that they want to kind of prop up as you know a U.S. agent and and as like their representation of patriotism and you know so that. That um, really details some interesting, uh, you know, storylines uh, about, you know, a black man being Captain America and everything that goes along with that. Um, so I'm just really interested to see more because, like you said, they didn't really show us a lot with this. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, cautiously optimistic may be the best way to uh, put our attitude for, for this one. Uh, next up. No release date, another Disney Plus series. Tom Hiddleston returns as Loki. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on the return of Loki? 
So this one, I thought that WandaVision was the one that I was most excited about, but this one completely won me over with the teaser trailer that we got. Um, and this might be a hot take. Maybe it's not. Uh, maybe I just you know don't realize how popular or unpopular this opinion is. This really just reignited um, and and really underlined the fact that I believe that Tom Hiddleston, you know, is probably the strongest performer in the MCU. Uh, like there is for me, Tom Hiddleston is Loki. I don't think there's a better casting uh, in the MCU. And, and that is saying a lot because there's some some really great ones. I think Tom Hiddleston is absolutely amazing in this role. And um, I th- I'm really, really excited to see where they go with this. I knew next to nothing about this series going into watching this. And I've watched it three or four times and I'm just slack-jawed every time guffawed every time that i look at it owen wilson as uh you know with the salt and pepper hair and a mustache is just hilarious in that elevator scene um you know the tva time variance authority going forward you know like there there looks like time travel is going to be a heavy part of this um freaking loki is db cooper it looks like um like ah he wakes up in like mongolia um they they have some serious you know shouts to like comic books with you know loki for president uh, i'm just really fascinated to check this one out and i can't wait yeah for me this one again uh, looked unique interesting uh, and and does something decidedly new with a, a mainstay character much like wandavision uh, i'm really optimistic about this one it seems like the show sees Loki forced to work for some kind of time travel organization, which is really, you know, it's got some potential. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you. It's undeniable that Tom Hiddleston has made the role of Loki his own, and he's really mesmerizing to watch as the god of mischief. So based on the footage and his involvement alone, I'm really interested. Every little uh, hint that they dropped uh, seemed to be uh, pointing towards uh, something deeper and more uh Every shot seemed to be something that you could dissect in, in this early look footage. So I, yeah, I'm really, really interested to see where this one's going. It's really interesting, and this is you know kind of a nod towards our next announcement. But like Tom Hiddleston, for those of you that don't know, auditioned to play Thor first. So like that's a big what if. What if Tom Hiddleston was cast as Thor instead of Loki? What kind of different you know kind of trajectory would would those roles have? um if that would have turned out differently but i'm 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 super stoked and excited to watch this one yeah i think uh extremely buff tom hiddleston may have made uh social media even thirstier than it already is um (laughs) so let's let's go ahead and not dwell on that particular what if but speaking of what if uh summer of 2021 we'll see another disney plus series released uh what if named of course after the uh long running series of uh stories out of uh marvel comics uh basically working as sort of an alternate reality take on on various stories and characters within the MCU. Uh, And yes, it is an animated series. So Chris, what is your take on this one? As soon as I saw Jeffrey Ross was attached as, as the narrator and Uatu the watcher, I was immediately sold. I think the animation is really unique. And I, and I think, I think it's, I think it's gorgeous. Um, It's aesthetically pleasing to me. Um, I'm particularly intrigued 
um, to see Haley Atwell return and to be, you know, Captain Britain, you know, Agent Carter is the one who receives the super soldier serum. That's probably the storyline that I'm most intrigued about. But, you know, T'Challa, um, Chadwick Boseman's final performance, you know, in the MCU, you know, being Star-Lord, I mean, like that seems really fascinating as well. So a lot of these seem like really, really fun kind of um, offshoots in in the timeline as as to where things could have ended up. So I'm I'm definitely intrigued for this one. Yes, uh, I am too. I love alternate reality stories. My biggest problem is always that in order to appreciate alternate reality stories, you need to have a deep familiarity with the regular reality and its characters. I think oftentimes franchises try to jump into the idea of alternate reality too quickly. Um, and if you don't, uh, you know, if you're not well versed in the characters and what they really are normally like, quote unquote, then um, you're not going to get any enjoyment out of an alternate reality story. The MCU has really reached a saturation point right now in, in sort of pop culture and in the, in the popular mind where this is definitely something that can work. The animation looks really high quality. The scenarios look interesting. I can't wait to see a Peggy Carter Captain America. Um, Chadwick Boseman's final performance uh, in the series is also a real draw. Uh, in short, this one's got my full attention. You know, I feel like Marvel has always lagged behind DC when it came to uh, the animated arena. Um there have been good uh, Marvel animated series, obviously. I mean, the one that really jumps out is, you know, the old X-Men cartoon. But qualitatively speaking, I think oftentimes stuff like Batman, the animated series, Justice League, um, Justice League Unlimited, Batman Beyond, um, Static Shock, you know, all those things had a tendency to really um, perform much better, I think, and come across much better. There was a much higher quality, I think, in some of those uh, animated series. So seeing Marvel uh, mastering sort of uh, the animated arena and, and cracking that nut, so to speak, would be really exciting because I think there's a lot of things they could do in animation that don't necessarily work as well in live action that we'd really like to see happen. So yeah, here's hoping that they can figure this one out. Yeah, I will totally agree with that. As the Marvel fanboy that I am, I can willingly and freely admit that, especially since the turn of the century, um in the last 20 years that that dc animation it, 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 i think probably because it's been a focus of theirs um it has been and has been far superior with with a few successes on on marvel's part but it, it's it's not it's not a close competition um so i'm definitely excited to see them you know kind of kind of go to that territory yeah totally next up Another announcement, this one really interesting, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, going to be released on July 9th, 2021, a major motion picture uh, starring Simu Liu and uh, a mostly Asian cast. Chris, thoughts? Yeah, I'm super excited about this. Um, you know, I may be in the minority, but I was a fan of the Mandarin twist um, in Iron Man 3, a movie that, you know, for... For it, it has its flaws, but I, you know, revisiting it, the more that I do, I really, truly enjoy it. Um, and, you know, that's in no short part due to the amazing acting skills of Sir Ben Kingsley um, as, as Trevor. It's it's just hilarious. So, like, when you take away, like, the whole, this is what the Mandarin is supposed to be, um, you can just appreciate just the, the glory of Sir Ben Kingsley's skill set. 
Um, I also feel like we were at a time period when that when that film was released. Um, the the origins in in the comics lore of the Mandarin were very very unfortunate and very very racist tropes. So we're now, you know, eight nine years later. I think we are in a better, you know, place culturally, um, creatively. Um, to do a more tasteful, you know, interpretation of the character and, you know, and within all mostly, if not all Asian cast and, and, um, you know, creative team behind it, I'm, I'm really encouraged to see where they go. Uh, Simu Liu is delightful. If you haven't checked out Kim's Convenience, it's a Canadian show about a Korean family that runs a convenience store. I highly recommend it. Um, he's, he's hilarious in it. Um, also the father in that show is one of the, uh, rebel, I guess not rebel, the new Republic pilots from the, um, uh, Mandalorian season two. So if you've seen that guy, that's the dad from Kim's convenience and it's a really delightful show. So, um, not to mention Simu Liu's hilarious online social media, you know, personality is, has been really enjoyable, particularly during quarantine, um, so I'm very, very intrigued to see where they go with this. Shang-Chi is a character that I do not have a lot of exposure to. Um, it's probably limited to his tie-ins with the Avengers and you know Marvel Team-Up and Spider-Man. But aside from that, uh, I don't know a lot about the character. And I'm excited to go in uncharted territory. Um, especially, you know, I, I feel like this, I feel like I felt with the Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, with the, the Spider-Man films, the X-Men films, where I have uh, extensive exposure to and um, extensive, you know, history with the characters, I can be overly critical. But with a new character and, um, you know, new territory, I, I can I can get away, get rid of those some of those, you know, preconceived notions. And I'm excited to to try something new here. Yeah, I'm totally with you in that I know next to nothing about Shang-Chi. I know he's basically Marvel's premier martial artist, and that's about it. I'm really mostly interested at this point in the Ten Ring subtitle, because as you noticed, it indicates the involvement of the Mandarin. You know, the character was famously teased in Iron Man 3, only to be revealed to be an actor. And that ended up being one of the more controversial elements of the movie. But I'm going to be completely honest. I don't think this would have been nearly as controversial if they would have followed that up with a reveal that there was a real Mandarin and then sort of started building him up the way they build up somebody like, like let's say, Thanos. Because the Mandarin in, in sort of Marvel Comics lore, I mean, even I know the guy's a major threat and is a character that people you know, really want to see on the big screen. So finding a way to introduce a proper Mandarin character into the MCU, reinvented for a modern age, would be awesome. And I really hope this is where this movie is going. You know, I'm also glad that this project exists, period, especially given reports from several months ago regarding how uh, Jeff Loeb disparaged uh, the Asian characters and therefore the actors in the Netflix Marvel shows. I think Black Panther made an excellent argument for diversity in uh, MCU projects. So this movie, uh, you know, is simply exciting. Uh, the cast looks absolutely fascinating. Uh and I'm really, really, really excited to learn more about a character that I know very little about. I have a, a funny feeling that this is sort of going to be a, a sort of a sleeper hit, something like Guardians of the Galaxy that sneaks up on you that people really don't expect uh, will do much and then completely grabs you and becomes a big hit. Uh, I, I would be totally psyched for that to happen, Chris. 
Man, I'm telling you. I and I also saw like um one of my one of my friends who is of Asian descent like this is going to be our Black Panther. So um I'm I'm really excited and I hope that that's the case and I I hope that it's a film that that people of all backgrounds um particularly the Asian community can rally around and kind of have something after after years of, you know, misrepresentation and, you know, mistreatment in Hollywood. I'm really I'm really hopeful for this. And Dave, there's one thing that we need to know and it's that Michelle Yeoh is attached to this film, and and I'm already sold. Oh, that's it. I mean, uh, what else do you want, right? It's just perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you there. All right, next one. Disney Plus again, late 2021, starring newcomer Iman Vellani. Ladies and gentle people, this is the project that I am genetically predisposed to love. Miss Marvel is coming. Chris, your take. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, I, I'm so excited. You and I both have fallen just so head over heels in love with this character as of late over the past couple of months. You with reading the the books, um, me with playing the Avengers game and, and reading some comics as well. Uh, she's just freaking delightful. And we did get like some test footage, like not not so much a trailer, but just, you know, like uh, the few shots that they've seen because this was all done during quarantine. So even the casting was done during quarantine. So it's just wild to think about. And from what I see in this tiny morsel of footage, it, she looks perfect for Kamala Khan. Um, and I'm also excited that, you know, it, and as, as rightly should be, that the creative team behind this um, it, it is just the, the right people that need to be involved, you know, of, of um, you know, Middle Eastern uh, and, and Muslim you know, backgrounds. So I'm very, very excited to see this project develop going forward. Um, hopefully that we can kind of get a handle on COVID and, you know, for, for a thousand reasons, but you know, that they can really hit the ground running with this project because I'm super excited. I'm right there with you, man. I'm so predisposed to fall in love with this show. If it's executed with nearly half of the love and care of the comic book series, Miss Marvel has managed to quickly turn into one of my top 10 favorite comic book characters. So my expectations for the series are through the roof. There's obviously very little information or footage right now that we've seen. But still, you know, I, I tell you really what, what this particular show represents to me. There is a class of comic book, and I, and I harp on this a lot, that are superhero comics, but they avoid the dark and gritty uh, trends that keep gripping uh, mainstream comics and instead represent fun, pure fun, uh, fun with a lot of heart, fun with characters that are, that are can do that get pushed down and get up again. And, and characters that, that although they struggle hard are characters that we can all aspire to be. And I think Miss Marvel is one of those projects as to me is, uh, Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle on the DC side. Um, as is uh, Stephanie Brown Batgirl, as is um, Power Girl uh, by uh, Palmiotti and uh, Connor. Uh, these kinds of stories that are fun remind me in many ways of why I fell in love with comics to begin with. And devouring nearly 70-odd issues of Miss Marvel comics in, in over the course of like a week it it was one of the most delightful experiences I've had reading comic books in several years. And so I just want 
a, a, a television series to one time capture that pure, unadulterated joy that I experience when I read some of my all-time favorite comic books. And I think this could be the show that accomplishes that. So, yeah, I have incredibly high expectations. I really, truly hope that this series lives up to my hopes and dreams. You know, today I read um, like a background history of um, the creation of Kamala Khan, you know, by by the co-creators, G. Willow Wilson, Sanaa Amanat, and, and just all of the work that they put into that creating this complex character this realistic character this muslim teenager and just like the attention to detail that they went into and it was just beautiful because you know there's this big backlash from a bunch of idiots that we don't care about their opinion but at the same time you want to have when you when you have a character of a diverse background or you know um an abject focus on inclusion and diversity. You don't want to be like this tropey trash and just the attention, the detail that went into the creation of character uh, of this character. And it just shines through in every iteration that I've seen of her, even in a video game, even in like a television series when she was in the, um, the ultimate Spider-Man, you know, cartoon, like she's just freaking delightful. Um, and I also, you know, have seen, you know, you know, receptions and reviews that they remind her of Peter Parker. And for me, that's ultimate Spider-Man. And that's why I took to, you know, Kamala. And that's why I took to Stephanie Brown. And I think of that Chumbawamba song from from back in the 90s. I get knocked down, but I get up again. And that's, that's their ethos. Like, no matter how much crap is thrown at them, like, think of the history of Spider-Man and the crap that he's gone through. And he just keeps, keeps getting back up. You know, you think of that iconic, that, that, that iconic, um, you know, story arc, the master planner um, arc from ASM 31 to 33. And he's laying under there under the rubble. And they did this beautifully. It's one of the best parts of Spider-Man homecoming when he's laying there and he should be dying underneath all of that rubble. And he just talks to him. Come on, come on, Spider-Man, get up, Spider-Man. And it's just this beautiful thing. And I see the same thing with Kamala and, and it's just delightful. And like you said, it reminds me why we read comic books, why they are our choice of escapism in this world that can really get you down sometimes. And, and that hope, um, you know, uh, increasingly here recently, for me, it's been, you know, Superman and Captain America, you know, two characters who a lot of people have seen as, you know, vanilla, starch, you know, kind of blah. But for me, they symbolize hope in the face of adversity uh, and and hope for the future and where we should be going. Um and always standing up for what you believe in. And Kamala is no exception in that regard. Totally. Yeah. I feel like we uh, waxed very poetic about this particular project. Um, so let's go ahead and transition into another Marvel, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel 2, scheduled currently to debut in November of 2021, directed by Nia DaCosta. Uh, we'll also see uh, the inclusion of Miss Marvel herself. Uh, as well as Monica Rambeau, who uh, will obviously debut first uh, in WandaVision. Chris, your take on Captain Marvel 2 so far? Well, I'm just excited because we don't know a whole lot about it, 
but um even and we we touched on the the um directing news with Nia DaCosta's name being attached months ago um in one of our very first news stories and and I'm just really really excited to see where they go with this um uh, the thing that the, the the lasting image that I have about this announcement is shortly after this, I saw on Twitter, um, Nia DaCosta had had posted um, that they're in a group chat. All of these actors, Tiana Paris, Brie Larson, uh, Iman Vellani, Nia DaCosta herself, they're all in like this group chat and just like that camaraderie and like how, you know, with legacy characters, a lot of times people, you know, a lot of toxic fans, you know, are, are really you know, begrudging, but to see, and I touched on this with the relationship with Peter and Miles, you know, but, but now this is even more so with the real life individuals uh, of, of just that camaraderie and just like friendship. And, and uh, it's just really warms your heart. So I, I'm really excited to see where they go with this and how all three characters with that moniker are going to tie in what kind of storyline that's going to be. Um, so I'm super excited about it. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I can tell you uh, right away that uh, the relationship between Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel in the comic books is one of the more interesting and complex because it comes from a place of, you know, hero worship, first of all. Um, but at the same time, uh, one of the things I've appreciated about Miss Marvel is that she was willing to break with Captain Marvel when she felt like uh, that character was going too far in what she was doing. That is some uh, strength of character when you're willing to stand up to your heroes that I really appreciate about Miss Marvel in particular. Um, so I'm really looking forward to those interactions. And look, you know, I've, I've, I've heard, you know, social media is, is one of those, um, uh, can be an incredibly toxic place, but it can also be a great place for people, you know, like nerds of, of like interest to get together. But I was always disappointed uh, with so much of social media having a, a negative attitude towards Captain Marvel, uh, the first Captain Marvel movie, because I really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, Brie Larson's casting was smart. Uh, I thought that uh, the movie was well put together. Uh, It had some great moments, and it really laid a foundation for a character that I wanted to see more of. Now, of course, the problem was that when we saw her again, uh, it was in uh, Avengers... um, Endgame. And the problem here is that those scenes were, of course, shot before the actual Captain Marvel movie. So getting any kind of like clear, uh, consistent characterization was almost impossible. And so her inclusion uh, in that movie felt, in a lot of ways, not like a follow up to the uh, first Captain Marvel movie. It felt really like an afterthought in a lot of ways, because again, the first movie uh, of Captain Marvel herself, where they figured out who she was. Um, as they were making the movie, hadn't even been made yet. So now that we have a clear uh, picture of who Carol Danvers is, I'm so interested to see uh, how all this ties together, how she interacts with Miss Marvel, how she interacts with a grown-up Monica Rambeau. Uh, I'm just very, very fascinated about this project and so very excited to see see Captain Marvel again. I posted something on social media a while back. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen uh, in my life. Uh, what, a, what a time to be a nerd. I stepped into a theater to go see Captain Marvel. And on one side of the hallway in one theater, Captain Marvel was playing. And across the hall in another theater, Shazam was playing. You had literally Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel, two different characters from two different companies that came up with the same name having movies released in the theater, both movies 
big hits. What what a time, you know, to to be a nerd. So yes, I'm totally excited for the second part of this. I cannot wait to dig in. And uh, what also what I appreciate about that time, I remember that quite fondly of uh, both films. I, I just absolutely love dearly, dearly. And and what I loved about that time, particularly with both of those films being released around the same time, was was Zachary Levi and Brie Larson. You know, just even across you know competitors' lines, just being so in, in publicly in favor of each other and supporting each other. It was just an awesome thing to see, and it and it you know just made your nerd heart explode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that kind of positivity across, you know, company lines uh, is just wonderful to see. All right. This next one is another one that uh, it's almost uh, impossible not to be hyped for. And that is Hawkeye, Disney Plus series coming late 2021. Uh, of course, Hawkeye from the Avengers movies, Clint Barton will be back, but it will also introduce Hawkeye Kate Bishop, played by Haley Steinfeld. Chris, go. Holy crap, man. I mean, I, I said this before when I was talking, I uh, was nerd commending the the current Avengers video game. I'm, I'm obsessed with Kate Bishop. I think she's a fantastic character. She's super creative. And even as, you know, like a, you know, another Caucasian legacy character, she still stands out. And it's not like, you know, you know, similarly to Kamala, it's not just, oh, here we go, just somebody else taking over the name. She's a completely, fully realized character. And I think that is, um, you know, a tribute to the creators who have worked on that title. Um, you know, Matt Fraction, I will follow him to the ends of the earth. Um, you know, Kelly Thompson as well has has done amazing work with, with the character. Um, and I'm just super excited to see uh, that character brought into the mainstream and on the screen. And there's Absolutely, you could not fan cast a better person to play Kate Bishop than Haley Steinfeld. The girl is magical. The woman is magical. Everything that she does. I remember seeing like True Grit back in like 2012 when she was going up on screen opposite Jeff Bridges and Matt Damon, two of like the titans of Hollywood. And she was holding her own as like a really young kid. And, and now to see her just blowing up, you know, both as as a recording artist, um, as as an actress as well, it's just super fascinating to to watch. She was incredible as the voice actress of um, Spider Gwen in Into the Spider Verse, um, and, and she's been just amazing and everything else. And I just cannot wait um, for this. I think Jeremy Renner returning, he brings. Um, you know, a complicated history and backstory, but but his scenes, particularly in Endgame, were quite powerful um, and and resonant. So I'm interested to see where you know that storyline goes and how do we get from A to B? How do we get from Endgame to this project? And I'm I'm very intrigued, and I could not be more excited. Totally with you there. This this is so exciting. I too am a big uh, Haley Steinfeld fan. I also uh, watched True Grit. Uh, I'm a big fan of the original with John Wayne, but I also watched the remake. I thought she was easily the best thing about that movie. Her acting was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I will also, uh, I have a hot take because I always do. Uh, I think that uh, her Bumblebee movie that she starred in is probably the best Transformers live action movie that we've gotten. Um, it had a lot of heart, which I felt like uh, a lot of the Michael Bay movies um, 
sincerely lacked. So I'm a big fan. Her as Kate Bishop is super exciting. I absolutely love uh, the, I want to say it was Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye. Yes. Uh, that that featured her prominently. Uh, it's one of the few Marvel projects that I've really dug into and kind of read from start to finish and really, really, really enjoyed. So this uh, is is probably on my most anticipated list of all the stuff that was announced. I cannot wait to see the two Hawkeyes interact. This is going to be uh, a lot of fun. Holy crap. I totally forgot I haven't seen Bumblebee yet. Thank you totally worth it man if you were disappointed in the other transformers movies this is the part where you feel like it has slightly redeemed itself the movie had a lot of heart a lot of character Uh, it felt more like a transformers movie than than any of the other live action transformers movies in my book see that's a that's a property um and that's a franchise that i have little to no relationship with I was born in 88 and it kind of had swung out of popularity by the time I, you know, reached like toddlerhood, you know, so, so, you know, TMNT started in 87 and it was still going strong when I was a toddler and into like pre-K kindergarten. By that time, you know, Transformers wasn't really big, Um, you know, X-Men and Spider-Man, Batman, those were still huge in TMNT, but, but Transformers kind of ebbed and flowed, you know, um, right around those times so it was never really a franchise that was particularly close to i was never a big car guy um and then you know like the film franchises you know left me pretty cold you know shia labeouf is shia labeouf um megan fox um you know ruined you know those tmnt films um michael bay i mean he makes good bad boys movies but other than that I'm, i'm not a fan of his work yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm an 83 boy, so Transformers was something that was a big part of my youth. And although I could um, sort of find some positives in the very first live-action Transformers movie, um, I-, I think from that point on, it just kind of nosedived, and I just had to disconnect from that franchise. No matter how much I love uh, Transformers, I-, I try to distance myself from the live-action movies. But Bumblebee... Uh, being my wife's favorite Transformer. Uh, obviously, getting a solo film and I was going to be dragged back in. And, and lo and behold, it actually had some quality. <laughs> so I was I was extremely pleased. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That brings us to a project that I find even more interesting than WandaVision, which I didn't think was possible. And that is the Disney Plus series She-Hulk, currently no release date, starring Tatiana Maslany with a guest appearance by Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. This is actually being billed as a half-hour legal comedy. Are we getting our first MCU sitcom? Chris, what are your thoughts? I'm, I, am, I am absolutely, like, bushwhacked by this. Like, um... See, I I have very little history with the character, um, and I I have you know heard from friends that that are are much more well versed in She Hulk, saying that this is on brand for her. Um, but I was pre law uh, before I switched um, in college, so I've always loved you know John Grisham novels. I've always been a huge fan of you know legal dramas. Um, shouts to Boston Legal. It's William Shatner and James Spader being attorneys. So if like, I mean, like, what more do you need in a show? Boston Legal Man. Um, so like, this seems really, really cool. Um, I have, I have not seen Tatiana Maslany in anything. I've, I've heard great things. Um, 
Mark Ruffalo is making a guest appearance. So like he is just freaking delightful. Um, also, um, Tim Roth is returning as abomination. So like after 12 years of nothing from, you know, the incredible Hulk film, uh, Tim Roth is back as abomination in a legal thriller or excuse me, a legal comedy. How is that going to tie in? So this is really, really going to be interesting to watch develop. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny that, uh, I actually have one over the Marvel fanboy right now in that I have a uh, She-Hulk by Dan Slott, the complete collection volume one sitting on my shelf and actually enjoyed that a great deal. Uh, I'm a big fan of the character. I actually like a lot about her. Um, so although I, there's still a lot of reading to be done on my end to really delve deeper into the character, I'm actually very excited about this. Um, I've watched uh, a little bit of Orphan Black, although I never actually finished the show. So I'm a big fan of Tatiana Maslany. Uh, now, there's a talent for you when she can play a bunch of clones that all look the same but have completely different personalities. And you totally believe that they're all different people. So... I have really, really um, high hopes for this one. Acting-wise, I think they got the perfect person. I think she uh, can basically read the phone book and be entertaining. Um, And I think if anything lends itself to kind of a a, a humorous approach, a sitcom sort of style, I think She-Hulk is probably the character to do it with. So... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm more than a little fascinated by this, and really really excited to see it. Um, yeah, I, I think this this has the potential to be again much like Wandavision, just a really unique project that pushes the MCU in bold new directions uh, of greater variety. Something I think it desperately needs. Wow, you really really tickled something there for me when you said uh, different personalities. I thought immediately of Diane Guerrero in. Um doom patrol as crazy jane and she has each and every personality is something different and and i just was remembered by how magical that was so that's definitely intriguing for me um to check out um but i i'm definitely excited like i said to see where this goes yeah right there with you so this next one i have very very little to say there's a disney plus series coming it'll feature moon knight there is no release date and i know nothing chris what do you think yeah, we talked about this briefly on the rumor swirling that Oscar Isaac would be playing the Taylor character, but at the time of Disney Investors Day, they could not confirm that. So there's really not much to say. Uh, Moon Knight is a really, really interesting character who I have a little bit of exposure to, like I said in the news previously, um, with his team-ups with with Spider-Man during the 90s. Um, but other than that, um, I don't know that much about him either, other than he has like multiple personalities. Um, and it is, seems like a co- quite complex character and he has been featured heavily recently in Jason era's Avengers run, um, which I'm definitely going to touch base with when I finish my X-Men read through. I'm almost there. I went from 1975 to I'm now at 2018. I'm almost done. That's hard to believe, man. Yeah. So, you know, Oscar Isaac. Here's another actor that I think is uh, very, very talented and deserves the right kind of role. Um, seeing him uh, as Moon Knight, I think there's a um, dissociative identity disorder thing going on with that character. He has multiple personalities. I think um, I think Oscar Isaac could pull something like that off uh, if that casting rumor ends up panning out. Um, but I don't know a whole lot about Moon Knight. Um, I'm probably not the best person to judge the quality of this project. Uh, All I keep hearing is that he's basically Marvel's answer to Batman. Um, 
which you know may may or may not be the case. I think I have some background research to do here. Uh, next up, another series, no release date. This one throws me for a loop in a number of ways. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson will return as Nick Fury. Ben Mendelsohn uh, ref- uh, returns as Talos from Captain Marvel uh, for a what is being billed as a crossover series uh, called Secret Invasion. Now, Secret Evasion, of course, is a uh, very uh, famous Marvel comic uh, crossover event in which the race of shape-shifting scrolls have uh, replaced a bunch of people on Earth, including a bunch of heroes, as a way of blending in and, you guessed it, secretly invading the planet. This is the kind of thing that I pictured being like one of the next big you know, Marvel cinematic events, you know, a big, huge Avengers movie in the vein of uh, in the vein of Endgame. Yet here we're getting it as a Disney plus quote unquote crossover series. Chris, what are your thoughts? This is wild to me. Um, This is the one that really made me turn my head and say, huh? Because (laughs) you nailed it exactly. Like Secret Invasion was one of the biggest comic events with the most you know, consequential rippling effects throughout the Marvel comic universe uh, in the, in the last several years. So, so seeing this as like, ah, it's just another Disney plus show. Um, it was really wild to think. Um, that being said, Ben Mendelsohn is just amazing as Talos. He's probably one of the strongest parts of the Captain Marvel movie. Um, that being said, um, you know, it, it was really interesting bait and switch subversion of expectations when it came to the end reveal of that film and that the scrolls were basically, you know, just refugees looking for a safe place to live. They were not villainous as they were in their comics, you know, history. Some people had some serious problems with that, including, you know, a lot of creators that worked on the titles back in the day. Um so I thought I thought it was an interesting and I thought it was a fascinating story and, you know, and, and really, you know, much needed update um, that, you know, made sense creatively speaking. But as far as a secret invasion, where are they going to go with this? Um, is this going to be a rogue batch of scrolls that, um, you know, violated, you know, the refugee type of, you know, mantra and, you know, they've got to work together, Nick and, and Talos to take them out. Um, you know, it's also interesting seeing as Talos served as a stand in for Nick Fury and Spider-Man far from home. Um, so with that end credit scene. So this is going to be really, really interesting to see where they go with this. And, and just how big is the scope of this? Is this just a crossover series or is this something that's going to set, like you said, something, you know, MCU shaking wise, you know, similar to the comic event going forward? And I do wonder if this is sort of um, like what they've been hinting at with uh, Star Wars in that they're talking about how, you know, Ahsoka and um, the Mandalorian and Boba Fett and all these series are going to somehow like join together and have like one big event. I'm wondering if some of these um, Disney Plus projects are going to basically come together in this secret invasion event, uh, which would be interesting. I mean, quote-unquote crossover can mean a lot in this case, but my assumption is that it's crossing over some of these other series, maybe including some of the big um, MCU heroes from the movies. Uh, Very hard to tell what they're going to do with this. I'm intrigued 
but confused as well, I think is the best way to put it at this point. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm wondering, I, I guess I'm just skeptical as to how far they want to go with a series. You know, it's one thing to be on the big screen and, and to have, you know, big name characters attached to a movie. But there's still this, if you want to call it a stigma about being a television series. Now, whether that's going to be switched, you know, in the in the months and years to come with the you know all of this and if that's going to to change things up but um I, I'm, I'm really skeptical as to how far reaching this is going to be yeah i think that's fair we'll have to wait and see i have a funny feeling that that one is still a while out i mean no release date means no release date but still this one might be a couple of years out at least we'll, we'll have to see what's going on there Next up, we have another Disney Plus series, no release date, uh, which has been kind of the, the habit of this investor day. Uh, Ironheart, starring Dominique Thorne as Riri Williams. Uh, Chris, your thoughts? So this is a, a really interesting um, announcement that I'm really, really excited about. Um, another character that I have very, very little exposure to. Um, I've seen her... Um, you know, in a few comics crossover with other characters, but Iron Man is not particularly a character that I am, you know, really close to. Um, I've read Avengers titles, but I haven't read any solo Iron Man titles. It's just not a character that I find that intriguing and interesting. You know, tech isn't really my thing. Um, Tony Stark, while I enjoy RDJ's, you know, portrayal in the MCU, is just not a character that I click with a lot. It's not my favorite Avenger. So, you know, seeing... Um, you know, Riri Williams take on, you know, the Ironheart, you know, moniker was really, really interesting to follow. Um, you know, we we talked to Luciano, uh, Luciano Vecchio as, as our very first interview months ago, um, and, and he worked, uh, you know, on that title extensively. Um, but but aside from that, my exposure to the character is is next to nothing. So I'm, I'm definitely interested, you know, to do some background research, uh, you know, as this series approaches. You know, I may be misremembering, and my research notes are not as extensive for this episode as they usually are, but I seem to recall that when they first sort of released teaser images of uh, Riri Williams and her armor, that there was uh, sort of a backlash against her because I think uh, Tony Stark wasn't around at the time for, you know, in-universe reasons, and there was this perception that now, you know, this was going to be the new Iron Man rather than a, uh, you know, unique separate uh, hero which i think is really regrettable because now we're we're at a point where well, clearly the idea of who's the next iron man is very much on the mind of the mcu i mean it basically was the whole hook uh, of spider-man far from home um so introducing a a character uh with similar smarts who builds armor and who might push uh you know that sort of approach to uh, superheroics in a into the future uh, would be really a good thing, I think, for the MCU. The regrettable thing is that I, I think as interesting as this project is, no matter what they do, Riri Williams is never going to have an opportunity to actually interact with Tony Stark, which is something the character has had an opportunity to do in the comics. And I wonder if, if that will not, you know, lose something there if she never actually gets to, to make that, that legacy connection to Tony Stark. 
But that being said, I'm very interested in this show. Obviously, there's not a whole lot known about it right now. We've not seen any footage. There's no armor design. Uh, it's all sort of up in the air. But interested is, is where I'm standing right now with this project. Uh, hopeful and interested. Yeah, I think the th- I think one of the things that makes me so interested about this project moving forward is Iron Man has become um, that character in the MCU that is overused and has too many far-reaching, you know, tendrils. You know, with the X-Men, the Fox X-Men films, it was Wolverine. With with the DC films, um, Batman. And- it's been Batman and, you know, now with the MCU, it's been, been Iron Man, you know, almost every MCU villain is somehow tied to Tony Stark. Um, and, and it, and it really is frustrating to me because I, like I said, I appreciate Robert Downey Jr.'s performance as Tony Stark. I think it's pitch perfect. I think it's wonderful, but like they've beaten this horse to death. So I am interested to see a new chapter. Uh, there were, I, my mind was blown because there were MCU fans who were, you know, just furious that Morgan Stark was not going to be the next Iron Man. And my response was, she was literally five freaking years old and has absolutely no canonical comics history at all. She has at least a great catchphrase. She does have a catchphrase, but that is, you know, <laughs> the limits. But as a, and as adorable, as an endearing, and as touching as those scenes were in Avengers Endgame, the fact that Riri Williams cannot have her time to shine um, because Tony's not involved is is just frustrating to me. So for no, if for no other reason, I'm looking most forward to this show. You know, as is in similar to what black Panther was for so many kids around the world, you know, as, as a black girl being, you know, this seminal character as, and and is the same reason that Shuri was like the most intelligent person in the Marvel universe was a black girl. And, you know, for my own children who are biracial, that meant so much to see someone on the screen that looked like them in the, in the company of, of men and in the company of men who, you know, have all this gravitas and all these names attached to them and to be outperforming them or at the very least holding their own in their company. When when Shuri looks at, at, at Bruce Banner and asks him, why don't you do just do this and this and this? And he just says, because uh, we didn't think of it is one of my favorite parts of Infinity War. And, and, and so I'm really excited to see um this going forward and and for for all the people that that will you know mean something for them and i'm just so tired of the toxic fan base where if they're not represented or if they don't get what they want then no one else can get what they want and and i'm just so excited to just celebrate other people and and what they need and other fans totally yes uh so very hopeful about this one Uh, The next couple of things uh, that we're going to talk about, I'm kind of grouped together because they're both uh, tie-ins to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Seems like an appropriate thing to do. So the two Guardians of the Galaxy content announcements that we got are first, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which is supposed to release on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the holiday of 2022, it will lead into Guardians of the Galaxy 3, is written and directed by James Gunn, much like the Guardians movies, and will, from what we know, feature most, if not all, of the Guardians of the Galaxy cast. 
The other piece of content related to Guardians is a series of Disney Plus shorts, animated shorts, featuring Groot called I Am Groot. Chris, what are your thoughts about more Guardians on the small screen? Oh, I've been I've been starved for this content, and and I've I've been missing James Gunn's um, you know vision. You know, like we talked about this before with the end scenes and and uh, of Avengers Endgame, where they were sorely missing James Gunn. So he is back in the captain's chair, so to speak, and I'm very very excited. Um, and, and we also hinted at this on our our previous episode that James Gunn unironically loved the Star Wars holiday special from 78. So I think this will probably just be a better version of that. And, and, you know, similar to what we got with the Legos holiday special, um, uh, Lego Star Wars holiday special um, this year. So I'm, I'm very excited to see this and I'm just happy that James Gunn is back in, in, in the Marvel family and um, the I am Groot series. um, If you haven't seen, um, the Forky asks the question uh, Disney Plus series like of, of shorts with with Tony Hale Buster from Arrested Development um, asking a question. They're just delightful, lighthearted, funny stuff. And I'm thinking it's probably going to be along the lines of that. So I'm excited to you know have some content that I can watch with my kids and 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 laugh along. And it's not going to be just for kids, but it's also going to be enjoyable for the whole family. OK, I agree. I am Groot. Interesting. Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, fascinating. I really got two. <laughs> I got really got two things to say here. Number one, uh, the fact that James Gunn unironically loves the Star Wars holiday special from '78 means only one thing. I mean, we can all agree on that. There must be a live performance from uh, Jefferson Starship, right? I mean, like there, there's got to be. How how are you going to do a, a holiday special <laughs> in space without a live performance from Jefferson Starship? Whipster, uh, whipster. Yeah. Let's not do that. Let's not. Um, but 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 here's one to think about. I think that this is actually um, it's cute, but it's also a really shrewd move. Uh, I I don't think anybody's really forgotten about sort of the the drama of James Gunn getting sort of fired from the MCU uh, and then being reinstated uh, a while back. So very clearly in the meantime, James Gunn took a job directing the Suicide Squad for uh, Warner. And that obviously caused a significant delay in getting the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So I'm thinking that this is in a lot of ways just a really shrewd way of reminding the MCU fan base, hey, the Guardians of the Galaxy are still out there, and here's what you loved about them in case you forgot. Because it is very true, I think, that people are going to need a reminder when it comes to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Because at that point, they will have been gone for several years. So what do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a shrewd move by Gunn as well. Like now just putting that into context and thinking about all thinking back to all of that is just like absolutely, you know, king a king move and and uh, and I admire it and I applaud it. Yeah, totally. Um big fan of James Gunn's work uh, for quite a while going back uh, multiple movies including the uh, incomparably weird and awesome Slither. So, uh, I'm all about uh, James Gunn content, and I'm as psyched for the Suicide Squad as I am uh, for more Guardians of the Galaxy. So uh, the guy, uh, much like uh, somebody like uh, Taika Waititi, is just a uh, fascinating filmmaker with a clear vision of what he wants to do. Uh, I truly, truly appreciate that about him. So I'm looking forward to this stuff big time. 
Next, we had a uh, announcement about Thor: Love and Thunder, which will release on May 6, twenty twenty-two. Uh, specifically focused on the casting of Christian Bale. It was confirmed that Bale will be playing Gore the God Butcher. Chris, I feel like we've talked about this before. We did. It was the one thing from the news segment of our previous episode that I geeked out about because this is one of my favorite villains. In my opinion, one of the greatest villains that's been created um, in, in comics in the last 15, 20 years. It's just it's just masterful. and It's really just a fascinating storyline. So as I said before, I think Christian Bale is the perfect one for this. A lot of people wanted to see him as Dario Agger, the CEO of the Roxxon Corporation, who also turns into uh, a mythical beast that is escaping. Oh, Minotaur. He also can transform into a Minotaur. Um, But, uh, and I think it would have been perfect for that as well. But I I think for me, Gore the God Butcher is a much more fascinating, um, you know, character and a storyline. And I can't wait to see it develop and everything about this movie. um, I changed my mind. This is the one I'm most excited about. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so um i will also say uh very interested in thor love and thunder uh, as i mentioned previously i'm a big fan of uh, taika waititi's work i think he's a sort of a, a visionary he's a guy with a very clear vision and he knows how to execute it i appreciate that about him as a filmmaker um and and so i have very recently sort of gotten into jason aaron's uh thor run this is jason aaron right that we're talking about here yes God yes sure. yes yes so um I'm familiar with the character rudimentarily. I'm very impressed with what I've seen. Uh, and Christian Bale can pull off pretty much anything. So seeing you know him in that role seems pretty much ideal. Now, here's one that uh, people might not be as excited about as I am, but I really can't wait for this. And that is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Uh, no release date for the third Ant-Man movie. Uh, however, we do know a little bit something-something. Jonathan Majors has been cast as Kang the Conqueror, the time-traveling villain from the comic books. Uh, and, of course, odd but interesting, Catherine Newton has been cast as Cassie Lang, replacing the previous actress that portrayed a uh, grown-up Cassie Lang in Avengers Endgame. Chris, what are your thoughts about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? Well, my first, when I was watching this live, uh, my first inclination was, hey, Catherine Newton, that sounds familiar, and that's from your nerd combination of Freaky, uh, if memory serves. That's correct. Um, But my biggest overall take, and the one that I'm absolutely geeked out about, is Jonathan Majors officially being confirmed to be Kang the Conqueror. Just a really, really complex character. A descendant of Reed Richards. What, you know, where are we going to go with that? Is that going to be something? Um, Jonathan Majors is just fantastic in um, Lovecraft Country on HBO Max. Again, I nerd commended it a couple of months ago. And I'll say it here again. If you have not checked out Lovecraft Country, I'm also now being convinced of the opinion, having watched a little bit of Birds of Prey, that Journey Smollett should just be cast in everything. Uh, She's just magnificent. I mean, I watched like one scene with her as the Black Canary and I was freaking convinced. Um, But Jonathan Majors as well holds his own and is just amazing as tick so I, i'm super excited to see where they go with this and the fact that he now has a background history in sci-fi he's super nerdy on the show in spite of like you know he looks he's built like a jock but he's super nerdy as well so like you know with a sci-fi background 
you know, being Kang the Conqueror, I'm just super excited to see where this goes and just embracing the weirdness that is, you know, the Ant-Man franchise. And and Paul Rudd is just one of my favorite individuals, period. You know, on the screen and off the screen, he's just a delightful person. Um, he's handing he was handing out cookies to people, you know, that you know, in public, you know, recently, he's just an awesome guy. Uh, and I just, I, I, you know, Peyton Reed is back and, and, you know, he directed a recent episode of the Mandalorian. That was just one of the best I've ever seen of a television series. So I'm just super excited for this project. Me too. Uh, I like the Ant-Man movies a great deal more uh, than I probably should, uh, considering how many fans of the MCU state that they're kind of, you know, uh, inconsequential and too much like, you know, again, like I said before, sort of that samey tone. But I think there's something about the Ant-Man movies. They're just slightly askew enough from the rest of the MCU that I find them, you know, enjoyably quirky. Um, so I'm really excited for this. I think Jonathan Major's uh, casting is really interesting. Um, I always hate recasts and I feel awful for the actress that portrayed Cassie Lang in Endgame to sort of be unceremoniously dumped uh, for what is uh, apparently a, a hotter rising star, basically. Um, I think there's something to be said for taking a chance on on actors and giving them a chance to shine uh, rather than always going for the biggest name. I mean, I think we should remember notably that Robert Downey Jr., although a uh, very talented actor, was not exactly A-list uh, at the time of his casting in Iron Man. And really, the MCU uh, really was taking a big, big, big chance on him. And uh, that really worked out well. On the flip side, though, Catherine Newton is very, very good. Um, and I enjoyed her a great deal in Freaky. So I don't think that this is necessarily, necessarily going to be to the huge detriment of the movie. But I really dislike, you know, recasts unless they can absolutely be avoided. Um, this just seems an odd move, I think, to make. I think I think the most unfortunate bit about it is uh, I believe I saw that Emma Furman, uh, the actress who portrayed Cassie Lang in Avengers Endgame, found out by watching the live stream. So um, I hope that that's not the case. Um, but it is very, very unfortunate. And, you know, with them recasting this, it makes me, you know, speculate that they're going to be playing into the legacy character of of ant-man and is is cassie herself going to be suiting up so that that is one interesting bit going forward yeah absolutely um lots of interesting stuff coming there we have two more big projects to talk about uh the first i know is near and dear to your heart chris and that is black panther 2 set to release on july 8th 2022 the decision was made not to recast the character of t'challa uh, so Chadwick Boseman, who sadly passed away, uh, will remain the Black Panther. Uh, the movie will focus on, uh, quote, the world of Wakanda and the characters introduced in the first Black Panther movie. And Ryan Coogler is returning to write and direct this sequel. Chris, your thoughts? Uh, I approach this project with a heavy heart. I'm, I'm kind of of two mindsets with the decision to not recast T'Challa, um, Chadwick Boseman publicly stated that that he he wished that they would carry on the character of T'Challa and what he meant for so many people. So, um, it, it, but it, you know, I'm also of the mindset of it's going to be really hard to follow that up. I mean, it's it's one of the most iconic portrayals that we've had in nerddom ever. 
and, and I think it would be very, very difficult to do. Um, not to say that it couldn't be done, but uh, it, it would be hard to separate that for me specifically. Um, the fact that Ryan Coogler is attached uh, to the sequel gives me all the hope for it, though. And I know that um, more, more, more than likely he'll be able to, to work his magic again. Um, I'm really interested to see the focus on the world of Wakanda. Um, for those of you that don't know, Shuri has taken up the mantle of Black Panther. So that's a heavy, heavy, you know, speculation at this point. Um, but also just more spent time spent in Wakanda. You can't go wrong there. There's actually been, been great, great, um, series called the world of Wakanda by Roxane Gay that, that focuses on the Dora Milaje and, and the world of Wakanda. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do there. You know, I think not recasting, uh, the character of T'Challa is probably the, the classiest thing, uh, that, the MCU can do at this point. Uh, Chadwick Boseman meant so much to so many people. Uh, I don't think uh, recasting, especially this early in the game, would come across very well. Uh, and I don't, I can't imagine any actor would even want to step into Chadwick Boseman's shoes so soon after his passing. So um, I'm really hoping that they find a good focal character. Uh, even though you know it's it's called Black Panther two, but it's going to be focused on the world of Wakanda. That that's all fine and good, but you need that one character. Uh, I think in the movie that's going to you know maybe rise to be the Black Panther, and if that's Shuri, that'd be fantastic. But we do need some kind of uh, s- somebody to really hang our hat on in this movie, and I hope that they found that while they're developing this movie. Now, Ryan Coogler returning gives me a, a lot of hope. I really, really like the first Black Panther film. Um, so, he, you know, here's hoping that they're able to continue this franchise, even though Chadwick Boseman passed away. That brings us then to our, our final one, uh, the very, very shortest tease with almost no information. There will be a MCU Fantastic Four movie directed by John Watts who also uh, directed the MCU Spider-Man films. Chris, your take. I mean, there was just, there's just something about being a Marvel fanboy, and you see that, that four logo, you know, up on the screen next to, uh, next to Kevin Feige. There's just something, there's just something, you know, emotionally stirring about it. Um, this is just with, with no additional information aside from John Watts, who I'm super excited to see, um you know involved in the project um uh, because i thought that he did the best possible job that he could do with um you know the overcomplicated inclusion in the mcu of spider-man and the back and forth between you know uh, marvel studios and sony um you know i have i have my reservations about those said aspects of the film but by and large overall i love those movies and they are very very enjoyable to me and they're some of my favorite spider-man projects um you know and that's in no short part you know due to his his direction and his his uh you know position at the helm there so i'm excited to see his vision play out and i think that he is well equipped to be the director of a fantastic four film this has really just opened the floodgates for fan theories speculation fan castings um i've seen my 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 news feed on all my social media platforms have 
been flooded with pictures of John Krasinski and Emily Blunt for the last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, I, I'm just really excited and I, I really hope and I and I really think it will be, you know, the Fantastic Four done well. And that's that's the only thing that I want is is a good Fantastic Four, because it's been probably the biggest injustice, um, you know, of, of superhero movies that we can't get a good Fantastic Four movie. One of really the seminal, you know, um, you know, titles in, in comic book history and, and we can't get something good out of it. Yeah, you know, Fantastic Four movies went from mediocre to fantastic. Um, so I'm I'm not. I really want a good MCU Fantastic Four movie. Um, but obviously, at this point, we know nothing. We uh, we have no casting. We have we have no information. All we have is John Watts. And so at this point, really, all I can say is this. I'm kind of sad it's John Watts. I'm not saying the guy isn't talented or capable. But I find his his Spider-Man movies, you know, visually speaking, to be fairly safe. Uh, And I feel like maybe John Watts is kind of a a safe choice. You know, I'd much rather see somebody with a kind of a, a touch for science fiction. I really think the Fantastic Four works best when it's huge, weird science stuff. And getting somebody who might be able to deftly handle something like that, I think, you know, would be would be really interesting. You know, you say Fantastic Four directed by John Watts is coming, and your reaction is okay, he's 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 all right. But then you say something like, uh, Fantastic Four directed by James Gunn is coming. Well, here's a guy who's directed some science fiction this time, you know? Uh, who uh, would probably do a really good job. Or Fantastic Four by you know, Dave Fiolini is coming, you know, or uh, anybody who's really touched a little bit of science fiction at some point, because I think this is something we need to keep in mind about the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four need to be weird science. The Fantastic Four need to be epic science fiction stuff. You know, go big or go home with the weird science guys. And I'm not sure if, if a safe choice like like John Watts is really going to deliver a Fantastic Four movie that is clear and distinct from the rest of the MCU. I want my big, weird science fiction Fantastic Four. And I would love to see a director with at least a little bit of a touch or a history of that kind of big, epic science fiction love. You know, Fantastic Four by Jonathan Frakes. There's your one. You know, something in that regard would be really, really, really exciting to me. Yeah, we talked about this um, back when we made our dream film projects um, from page to screen or drill. One of those one of those projects of, of our dream films. And Frakes was actually my pick for that. Um, I, I love all of his work. I love Will Riker. I love the episodes of uh, and films of Star Trek and and uh, that, that he's directed. So I think he's pitch perfect for this. Um, and I totally see what you're saying with the safe pick of John Watts. It's somebody in house that they've already worked with. So, um, you know, that does give me reservations, but, um, hopefully they can let loose a little bit because they have to with the fantastic four. It's gotta be, like you said, weird science. It's gotta be out there, odd stuff. And I, and I, my most, the most important thing for me is I hope that they nail the characterizations of these characters. So I'm, I'm probably most, 
um, concerned about and hopeful for the the casting choices. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant of John Krasinski, Emily Blunt. I'm all the way behind. I know that I've talked about John Krasinski before, and I, I just see Jim Halpert um, time and again. I, my concern is Reed is probably the hardest one to nail because he's got to be this brainy, aloof, absent-minded professor, but he's still the most intelligent person in the world. Loves his wife, but is like not a very good husband because he's so absent-minded and you know creates all of these problems and stuff. So Reed's probably the hardest character to nail. Um, you know, and then you know Ben Grimm is mostly the voice because it's going to be all CGI. But um, so I, I'm really, really interested to see. But like you said, we've got nothing so far. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well. You know, I, I here's hoping it's going to be a good Fantastic Four movie. That's I think everybody everybody's fondest wish at this point. At, at the very least, the bar is hella low, Dave. Yeah, I would totally agree. But I don't want a, a mediocre or passable Fantastic Four movie, Chris. I want a good Fantastic Four movie, and I think if we're going to get one, this is our chance. I I, I sincerely hope that they bring like someone like Jonathan Hickman, um, who's whose Fantastic Four stands at the top of one of my favorite, you know, comic book, you know, reads ever. So if they bring on a creative consultant like Jonathan Hickman or someone who knows these characters inside and out, then that'll make me happy. I'm with you there. Well, that about covers it. Stick around until after the break for uh, patented nerd commendations. We'll be right back. And we're back after this long, extra-sized uh, byword big talk. Let's go ahead and hit up our patented nerd commendations. Chris, what are you nerd commending for us this week? Well, I'm recommending a character that is near and dear to my heart, um, my doppelganger Thor uh, by Donny Cates and company. Um, illustrated mostly by Nick Klein, um, at least in this first arc. Um, so I was really, I had, I had steep reservations about a new creative team on this title after seven or eight years of Jason Aaron and, and the rotating artists that he collaborated with, you know, creating something that's so seminal that it stands right up there with the Walt Simonson Thor run, um, as one of the best ever. I was really, really nervous, but, um, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, you know, Donny Cates is, he's got a, his hand in a lot of cookie jars right now uh, when it comes to comics. He's got crossover over at Image. He's got, you know, Venom and the King in Black that is dominating the Marvel storylines. Um, but also his Thor, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Like, it's really, really good. Um, and it's, you know, like Thor, like it's, I've never seen him before. So it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, kind of setting the scene for you. Thor is the king of Asgard now. If you remember at the end of, of War of the Realms, Odin passed on uh, the title of, of king to Thor. And so now he's he's sitting on the throne and, and all of the weight that comes with that. And, you know, to just to set up the first arc, this uh, Black Winter is coming um and and no one can defeat it it cannot be defeated except for galactus so in order to defeat this approaching black winter 
Thor, the god of thunder, king of Asgard, has to become the latest herald of Galactus. He gets a new uniform that is super cool. Um, and he has to serve as the herald of Galactus, which is something that I never thought that I would see in a Thor comic. Um, and and a lot of, of what Donnie and company are doing is completely uncharted territory with with which is really difficult to do when you have a character that's been around in comics for you know, 60 years. Um, so it's, it's really, really interesting and I'm really enjoying it. I particularly love the visuals that are given to us by Nick Klein um, and, and the, the other artists that are on the book. It's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, even if you don't read the words, it's just some beautiful visuals, some splash pages that are just out of this world. Um, the lettering of Thor books is something that I've always loved. The the rune-like font is fascinating. Um, but, um, you know, my reservations were ill-founded because I, I am loving Thor by Donny Cates. So definitely check out that title. You are going to Thor me out, my friend. First, you recommend Jason Aaron's run. I'm working on that. And now uh, you have a, another run of Thor that I have to read. Good Lord. It's only like uh, 10 issues so far, so. Oh, hallelujah. You know, without joking, this sounds awesome. I'm definitely adding this to my reading list. Uh, Given the hype that I'm feeling for Love and Thunder, I'm definitely here for some more Thor, so I'm ready for it. All right, Dave, what is up for your nerd commendation this week? You know, you won't believe it. I've been really busy lately, but I actually got a chance to play a video game again for the first time in a while. And... I had to kind of go back to a reinvention of a classic, so I'd like to talk about Tetris Effect Connected. Tetris was, uh, like for many gamers, my very first Game Boy game. It was, after all, the pack-in title when the Game Boy launched. And I've always loved Tetris and would argue that it's probably the greatest video game puzzle game of all time. A couple of years ago, Tetris Effect, a new version of the game, was released to the PS4, uh, now, finally, it has made its way to Xbox via Game Pass as Tetris Effect Connected, uh, which adds a new multiplayer mode to the mix. Look, man, it's uh, it's Tetris. Honestly, the more people try to mess with the formula, the more they mess it up. What makes Tetris Effect so good is that it doesn't mess with the formula. Uh, it, all the you know secret herbs and spices are here. The focus of the game is not to reinvent the game of Tetris, it doesn't focus so much on the gameplay. It focuses almost exclusively on presentation. And here's where the game really shines. I seem to lack the vocabulary to really sufficiently describe Tetris Effect. It's really difficult to describe. It is above all else a feast for the eyes and the ears. It's simply incredible, rotating through various visual styles, syncing up with the music and placing in places, and really creating sort of an audio-visual experience unlike any other video game I've really ever played. I mean, there's a reason this thing was in VR on PS4. And although it it doesn't have VR functionality on the Xbox, uh, it does make up for that with the added multiplayer functionality. So I don't know what else to say other than if you have Xbox Game Pass, try out Tetris Effect Connected. Uh, I think you're going to be incredibly surprised. The core gameplay of Tetris is intact and as fun as you remember it from oh so many years ago. But the visual presentation of this game is simply something to behold and elevates a simple game of Tetris to a whole nother level. 
So, so we always um, are are fond of character growth and development on this show. And Dave, I'm really proud of you because when I saw that you were recommending a multiplayer focused game, I I was shaken to my core. Um, but but looking at the the gameplay video that's featured in the link that's in our show notes, and and I'm right there. I'm like, well, this is why you recommended it because it's it's absolutely visually stunning like it's gloriously beautiful it's 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 almost like cosmic in its aesthetics you know it's just really really gorgeous so i'm definitely i'm a game pass subscriber i have been since its inception so i'm definitely going to be downloading this one today you know it feels uh, just to refer back to our discussion of the fantastic four it feels like the kind of visuals you would expect out of a good fantastic four movie very sci-fi, very cosmic, very out there, and at the same time, absolutely mesmerizing. I'm a big fan of this game. Uh, I'll probably go and play it some more right now. All right, folks, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a rating or review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're available everywhere podcasts can be found, including Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, TuneIn Radio. Uh, you know, pick your poison. You can also find us on Twitter at NerdByWord uh, and on Instagram as well, or individually at ThatNerdChris and at ThatNerdDave. Also, I would like to uh, be sure to talk about our pal Phil Russert. Uh, you may have seen us appear on his live show creator con q a so be sure to check out his page on facebook um and on youtube creator con q a he's actually going to be featuring an interview of um co-creator of the new mutants bob mcleod on uh this tuesday december the 29th at 9 eastern so be sure to check that one out he also is um an, an artist agent with legendary illustration. So be sure to check out their social media pages. We'll have more info for that to come on, on our pages as well. Um, Phil's just a great guy. One of the hardest working, uh, you know, men in, in the comics uh, related biz. He also um, has his own con up in uh, the Long Island, New York area. So, so be sure to check out creator con Q and a, it's just a fun time to sit around, um, late at night and just listen to comic book creators uh, uh, just and, and just nerd out. Yeah, a fantastic time. I uh, really enjoyed the interview we had with him uh, and appearing on his show uh, was a great deal of fun. Uh, and just listening to all the other people that appeared before us and after us was a lot of fun. So uh, this obviously is a, a highly recommended uh, show to check out. Uh, as we talked about on one of our, our, our most recent episodes, it's kind of like some chicken soup for your nerd soul. So um, so be sure to check out CreatorCon Q&A on Facebook and YouTube. Um, and as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available.